Well, I've got something good for you. I've got a good word for you about how God will enable you. Whom he calls, he equips. When he calls you to something, he'll be there with you. He said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The Old Testament to the Jewish people, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. He said, therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, that's the Jewish people, will not be consumed. So they, that people group can trust that God is going to be their deliverer and has been and will be. Now, that idea is bumped into the New Testament where uh, in Hebrews it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so we can trust the creator who created the universe, the one who sent his son Jesus, who uh, raised him from the dead, then imparted strength into the early church, and um, they went out into the, and Paul in particular went into the Roman Empire and brought and produced such vast and rapid change uh, that here we are today, impacted by the God who never changes. Say this with me, hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) So I think about the story about Gideon and I think Paul the Apostle. I'm going to preach out of Acts chapter 16 primarily. So you can get your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 16. And I want to just show you what can happen as you go. Uh, in the case of Gideon's time, there was oppression on the people from Midian. And they had camels and they would ride in real fast and steal the stuff from the Hebrews. And then uh, it, it got really bad. They're just when their crops started to grow and things started to advance they would be ripped off. And it was in part because, due largely because they had had done evil on the side of the Lord and they had opened up a door to the enemy and it was causing problems. Well, then they repented. And when they repented, God came and spoke to Gideon and he was in the wine press threshing wheat, hiding from uh, the Midianites so he'd save the food that he would extract from the, the wheat stalks. And God spoke to him, he sent an angel to him in verse 12 of chapter 6 of Judges, and he said, uh, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. But Gideon had this depleted, kind of burned out attitude, and he said, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. So he's going into the dark negativity. He's looking at the circumstantial thing that's happened around him. And he said, why, God, why? And if you're, God, if you're so good, why did this all happen, you know? And and yet the Lord looked at him and said something so profound. And I believe he's saying it to us. He said this to Paul the Apostle. He said this to the church throughout the ages. Go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of of Midian. Have I not sent you? You know, we need to understand when we're sent, when God commands, he will enable us. And with Gideon, even in his reluctance, he's, he's a reluctant warrior. He's immediately looking at the negatives. He's, he's not exactly speaking a bunch of confident faith. He's at a bad point emotionally right here. And God knew that, and God was uh, helping him by overriding that previously held conviction with God's purposes of uh, coming to strengthen him and anoint him so he could go out and defeat the army of the Midianites. 
And he said to him, Lord, he said, Lord, behold, my father is the least in, Man my family is the least in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's house. So he immediately is looking at his inadequacies. He's, uh, he's feeling like he's, he's disadvantaged. He's trying to explain it to God because, you know, after all, God needs to have all this explained to him, you know. And uh, the angel says, after he's saying all this, uh, I will deliver Midian into your hand as though uh, by one man. I'll defeat Midian as one man. I'll be with you, and you shall defeat Midian as one man. So this is impactful from history to see this snapshot from antiquity in the life of this Jewish judge, this man, Gideon, and how the Lord anointed him and roused him to be able to deal with the times he was in. And then I also think about, that's the foundation, and I want to now th think about the church and how when Jesus sent out the believers, he gave, him, he gave all of us the Holy Spirit, and he enables us, he equips us, he empowers us. And uh, he's not, however, telling us just to go out and be busy, He's not just telling us to go out and, and do whatever we feel like doing. Um, you know, there, he actually, he ordered Gideon out into the cutting edge of something unusual. And with the early church, he called them to be world changers. He called them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, in Acts chapter, what is it, 17, I think it says, the people who turned the world upside down have come here also. Well, Paul the Apostle was trying to flow with God. God had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to Paul. And so Paul had a passion about this. Does anybody remember what Paul the Apostle was called primarily to do? Initially, he was persecuting the Christians. When he was Saul of Tarsus, that's why he's constituted as and calls himself the chief of sinners. And lest you think there's no hope for you, you could look at Gideon, who was a reluctant warrior arguing with the angel of the Lord, and God overrode it and used him anyway. With Saul of Tarsus, he was a persecutor of the church. The first time we hear about Paul the Apostle, he wasn't just grumbling or threshing weed in a wine press. He was actually determined to stop Christianity before it started. And the, the first time we hear about him, he's holding the coats of the people that are stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and 8 and then in 9. He has this, he's going to, on the road to Damascus, breathing insults against the people of God. He would drag them out of their homes and put them in prison. He was a very harsh, cold person. He was a hater. And he was zealous with it. But God uh, got a hold of him. And he called him to the Gentiles and their kings and the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Basically in that order. Where Peter was called primarily to the Jewish people and the other apostles, Paul was actually called to break out and reach the world of pantheism, of, of humanism, of emptiness, of idolatry. And Paul had an aspiration to go to these places in this pluralistic society and bring the message of the true and living God and lay it at their feet and go to their cities. He, he wanted to go to Corinth. 
this great cosmopolitan port city had a big cross-section of people. He wanted to go to Rome, which was the capital of the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire, you ought to look at it and study it. It was one of the longest-running empires of human history. It lasted over 1,000 years, and there are a number of reasons why it deteriorated. It divided. It went into the east and Constantinople and then the west, and then their, their language was... Uh, language shifted, and then there were just a lot of things that happened. They got top-heavy, they lost their compass, they lost their way. Uh, the gospel came in and radicalized and changed a lot of people's thinking, and here we are today. In Acts chapter 16, this is more significant and actually more pervasive and long-running than that immediate initial battle of Gideon. You remember how many people were with him when he finally had the army rendered down? 300. And uh, peculiar things. He was responsible to light torches and break jars and trumpet blasts and things like that. And God used that. Uh, all the while, this guy was saying, aren't I the least in my father's house? Aren't I from the wrong side of the tracks? Aren't I, you know? And, and, and you see that in the lives of, of Moses. Moses said, I, I, I can't speak, you know? And Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Isaiah said, yeah, I'm a man of unclean lips. And Jeremiah said, I'm just a youth. And even in our own situation, the truth be told, we are so aware of our inadequacies, our insecurities, and uh, you can spend a lifetime trying to compensate for them by being prideful and saying, you don't know me, and all that stuff, or, you know, or being falsely humble. I think even Gideon was, God wasn't giving him a pass when he was going, oh, I'm the least in my father's house, and you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, talk to the hand, oh, valiant warrior. Because everywhere, you know, he told Jeremiah, he said, everywhere I send you, you'll go. And I watch over my word to perform it. It's not just strictly about your little feelings and your insecurities. Or, and if you're prideful, God knows how to bring humility to you. And if you're insecure, God knows how to raise you up and strengthen you. Because they're close cousins. They're both of the flesh. Oh, no, I can't do it. I have nothing. You know, it's, no, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're made in God's image, and his anointing is on you. Well, but I, see, look what Gideon is going, oh, I'm just the least of my father. If God really loved us, why did all this happen? Can you imagine that? That's his first, he gets a visitation from God. God's calling him out to something that makes it in several chapters of the Bible. And he's arguing with him against it, you know. And then with, with Paul, he is an unlikely candidate to write half the New Testament. <laughs> he's mean. You can look in the contemporary time and you can see people that are proponents of ideologies that are very harsh and very anti-God, and you can look at them and go, someday that person is going to change the world with the gospel of Jesus. Because guess what? They will. Because God's looking for people. And so here this guy has an encounter with the Lord, and there's so much to this, chapter 16, but I'm going to bring some highlights to you. But I want to pray right now, right as I get going on this, I've given you the foundation that, that whom God calls, he equips. Go in this your strength, have I not sent you? And uh, we need to understand that go ye into all the world is embedded in each and every one of us. God has called us, as we're going, we're to preach the good news. We're to be people of prayer. We're to be soul winners. He that is wise wins souls. We're to, we're to trust God. We're to pray for people. We're to bless those who curse us. They're just a bunch of, there are many, many dynamic things that God has commanded, and he will facilitate. He will enable us. God is helping us as Christians to function 
uh, it, very similarly to Gideon and very similarly to Paul, where it's not by our might or human power, but God comes in and enables us and gives us that strength. Hallelujah. Take what you have and go where I send you, basically, is what Matthew 28, 20 said and Mark 16, 20. Because as you go, I will go with you. He's with us. Everybody say, God is with me. Now, Paul, verse 1, chapter 16, came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. This is the first encounter Paul has with Timothy. Timothy ends up becoming Paul's son in the faith. It's one of the great examples of a, of a partnership. It's a great example of teamwork. It's a great example of loyalty. It's a rare thing. At one point he said, I can only send Timothy because everybody else is caught up in their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy stayed true. Similarly to Joshua, who was always in Moses' tent. It's amazing the loyalty that emanates out of certain ones that you see in the scriptures. And this guy was a really strong uh, uh, advocate and ally in Paul's life. His dad was a Greek and his mom was a Jewish woman who was a believer. And so Paul, uh, they took off and they went to strengthen the churches in the faith, verse five, and uh, were increasing in number daily. Hallelujah. Church is increasing. God's adding to the church daily those who are being saved. This, chapter 16, is a harsh context. The Roman Empire, can I tell you something about them? They were harsh. It was an evil empire. They were brutal, terrifying. Their method of execution was crucifixion. It was mean. It, people suffocated, usually, in this torture. They were militaristic. And basically, they were military, and they absorbed the societies that they conquered. And actually, Greece, which only lasted for maybe 250 years, was this amazing culture that actually came up with interesting philosophy, dynamics about uh, political governmental leadership, democracy, and things like that. Uh, Greece actually was so important and so powerful that uh, Hellenistic language, Greek, spread throughout the world, and so therefore the Bible was actually, the New Testament was written in Greek because of the impact the Greeks had on the world. Rome absorbed them, and so we give a lot of credit to Rome, but Rome just actually um, just took it over and then uh, regurgitated it out. So here is this context, and Paul takes on a disciple who is actually half Jewish and half Greek, and they start traveling about, and Paul has a passion to go into certain regions of the world. He's actually been sent into all the world. And verse 6 says, He passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, this is amazing. Because Paul is all about preaching the gospel. And yet, when he went in through a certain region, the Lord told him not to say anything. Not to say anything. So he went, passed through this place, and I'm reluctant to preach this part because God desperately wants us to speak up and share the gospel right now. But there is a time to speak and there is a time to be silent. And this was the case for Paul. And um, 
he knew it and he sensed it in his spirit that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. We don't have time to read this, but later on, when it was the right timing to speak the word in Asia, he spoke in the school of a person named Tyrannus for a period of only two years. And the Bible says that all of Asia heard the gospel. So God knew there would be a method, a technique, a timetable, and an atmosphere for things to be released into that particular pocket of society in that particular moment. But this was not the time. But God had a big plan for Paul, but it didn't look like a big plan. God had something that ultimately, historically, was illustrious, but at the time looked really hard. It looked like it wasn't all tied together. It looked like, you know, hey, this is cool. I met Timothy, but man, this is not cool. I'm trying to preach here, and I feel like I can't even speak here. He knew it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just oppression. But then it says, after verse 7, they came to Mycenae. They were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So they were trying to go into door, a place, and, and they, it wasn't the timetable to go to it. It wasn't the right timing. What happened with Gideon, what's happened here in Paul's life, is very prophetic for right now. This is a, we can look at the Old Testament example. The Midianites are oppressing Israel. They repent, and then God begins to go to work and move, and he finds a person. Now, the, the Roman Empire has been gripping the then-known world around the Mediterranean, and now God has activated and deployed this ragamuffin group of Jewish believers out of Jerusalem, and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And these guys are starting to step out in faith and obedience, and God's helped him, given him Timothy, which ultimately is a great equipping for both he and Timothy, great synergy between them. But it's just not God's timing to speak and go into these places yet. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's an interesting dream. That's the Macedonian call, as they say. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So God is operating here with, with visions and dreams, and he's speaking I guess Paul was younger then, so it was a vision. Old men will dream dreams. It's funny that Paul had a vision in the night, but he refused to call it a dream because he's refusing to get, to get old. He's in denial about aging. I, I like that. I understand that. I respect that. I had a vision at night. You know, <laughs> I like that. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So anyway, that, that was hilarious. All right, so putting out to sea with, from Troas... We ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. Everybody say Philippi. One of my favorite New Testament letters is the book of Philippians. The church model of Philippi ministers to me. Now, this is one of the big, big towns in this region of Macedonia. Now, who was the big conqueror of Macedonia hundreds of years prior to this? Alexander the Great, he conquered everywhere. He was like, he was fast, he, he conquered. And uh, so there was this expansion. So these are, these are amazing people groups. These are interesting dimensions of time. And we're watching this right here with the advantage of history. But we're also watching the fine tuning of God 
calling Paul to go into these places and yet basically saying, no, I don't want you to talk to, doc, I don't want you to talk here. I don't want you to go in here. I want you to go here. And so he concludes that. And I like how Paul operates. He puts uh, out to sea and he ran a straight course to Samothrace. Hallelujah. Straight course. When he started his ministry, he was on the road to Damascus, but then he went to a street called Straight. And I think that's interesting. The reason it was a street called Straight is probably because it was a straight street. But yet, that reminds me of King David when he was a shepherd boy and he ran to the battle line. Once Paul did know what he was called to do, he went for it adamantly. He went for it enthusiastically. And, he, and you know, when he realized, no, that's not, and I've heard people preach this. God will open a door no man can shut and he'll shut a door no man could open. And I really think that's valid because you see this in this case. And you see that a door was shut there with, uh, with Israel in Judges chapter six. They're having all kinds of trouble with the Midianites and the Amalekites or whatever. And, um, but then when repentance occurred, it shifted everything. Things changed. And God ministers to Gideon and starts to cultivate encouragement in him. In the case of Gideon, he went out by night and night. He tore down the Asherah pole, the goddess worship idolatry thing that was, I think, in his dad's yard. And, uh, and, he, and he, God let him do it by night. And then he, you know, he had to work through his process. With Paul the Apostle, he was in Arabia for 13 years. There was preparation. There was development. You could read chapters where he was beaten and he had such hardship. He talked about his thorn in the flesh and how it was overwhelming to him. And yet God said, my grace is sufficient. And he said, okay, I'm just going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to keep going. And it wasn't human determinism. It was the grace of God that strengthened him. It wasn't might or power that helped Gideon because obviously Gideon was already murmuring and complaining and trying to get out of the job. But yet God anointed him, empowered him, strengthened him, and helped him. So at every season of our lives, in whatever station of our lives we're in, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we, as we cooperate with God and as we are willing to flow with him and yield to him, we're going to see some great things come to pass. God wants to deploy you and me into something that we've never seen before. God did not create us to be copies. He made us to function and flow in a unique way and not to duplicate or imitate or copy anyone else. Yet we look at Gideon and we look at Paul and we can get derive much from their example because we're serving the God of Gideon. We're serving the God of Paul. And that God is our God. And he took these normal, regular human beings and did extraordinary things through them in unique complexity and circumstance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So he goes to Philippi because it's the leading city of the district of Macedonia. I suppose Skopje is the big town in Macedonia now, but this was when Macedonia was bigger. It was a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. So see, God didn't want him to go to Bithynia, didn't want him to go to Mycenae, had him pass through Troas, but did want him to go to Philippi. 
Now, these may not mean anything to you, but that meant everything to Paul. And um, the Amalekites may not mean anything to you, but there are scenarios that we can look at and see, wow, God brought these people through these circumstances. God is faithful in the Old Testament. He's faithful in the New Testament, and he never changes, so I can trust him. Everybody say, that God is my God. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, archaeology and theologians say that the reason for this, the reason they went on the Sabbath to a river was because there was not a synagogue in Philippi. And that, that meant there were less than 10 Jewish men in that city. Because if there was a city that had 10 Jewish men, they would build a synagogue. So that meant there was a low, low population of Jewish people. But they were looking for them. They figured they'd be by the river. And so they went to the river on the Sabbath to worship the Lord. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and so Paul and these guys just had this organic moment. Remember, he was all excited about going to speak in Asia, but the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit forbade him. And then he wanted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus didn't permit him. Then he had the dream, of the, the vision, I mean at night, of the Macedonia man, and he interpreted that he was supposed to go there. So he went, and while he was there, he was there for a long time. It says for some days. Then they went over and had this moment this is not networking. This is a holy encounter. And Paul has ordered, has had his steps ordered by the Lord, and they're there to worship God. They meet this lady named Lydia, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, she was a worshiper of God. So she's worshiping God as a Jewish woman, an entrepreneurial woman who had an amazing business because Purple was the high-end uh, garment and dye and fabric of its time, and she was a seller of purple. So she was quite a businesswoman. She was Jewish. She was out there worshiping God in a primarily uh, idolatrous, uh, Hellenized city. But Paul found her, preached the gospel, and God opened her heart to respond to the things of Paul. Now look what happened when she and her household had been baptized. <laughs> You go from verse 14 to verse 15, they're getting baptized. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So then they stayed. So while the Lord is moving, now Will and Ariel Durant years ago wrote history books about all, so much history. They're great historians. And um, Will Durant wrote that this was the turning point of Western civilization. His viewpoint was that Paul was pushing to go to Asia, but God wanted him to go, and this is the first European convert. And Paul didn't know that going into it. And it looked, Paul had his sights on things that he was excited about, which ultimately he was actually called to do, but it just wasn't the right timing. But God wanted to have him go into this situation in a very unique way and lead him. And Paul was willing and yielded to him. 
He pushed, I think he was pushing to get into Bithynia. It shows something of his personality, doesn't it? You know, but I, he wasn't overly pushy. He, he was willing to just, okay, I'm gonna take a nap. And when he rested, God began to speak to him and he got up and said, okay, God wants us to go over here, so let's go over here. And he did, and when he did, the Lord opened up this particular per occasion and this is the first European convert. This is a turning point in Western civilization. And it was in the context of hardship, of awkwardness, of what do I do next? Where do I go? And God had all along a great purpose. God's purposes shall surely come to pass. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Hallelujah. Even when Gideon was arguing against the Lord, God was saying, uh, you done, oh valiant warrior? Can you imagine? And he's not even being facetious because he said, go in this your strength. Well, what was the strength on Gideon? The go, the call to go. And when God says go, God is, intends to enable us and that's exactly what happened. And yet in verse 16, in the middle of it, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Well, in my margin it says, a way of salvation. Literal Greek, a way of salvation. So that's a little watered down. And bear in mind that this is in an atmosphere where they're serving a lot of gods. So it's like, what's the difference with just another God? This, they're just bringing a, a, the Hebrew flavor of another God. So this, in fact, wasn't a heralding from the Holy Spirit. This wasn't a God-ordained voice. In fact, this slave girl had a demon, and this demon was speaking a subtle alteration of, of what was actually happening. It was coming alongside, and it was partially true. That's very similar to what Lucifer did with Eve in Genesis chapter three, where he just sort of twisted things a little bit. He took what God said, but then sort of changed it a little bit and added to it just enough truth, a little bit of poison, just to be the father of lies. And so here this, and so this is happening, and she kept crying out doing this, and she continued doing this for many days, verse 18, and I love this verse, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now look at how weird people are. When the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone because this girl had a spirit of divination, uh, that's like a familiar spirit. There's an unclean spirit, there's a familiar spirit, a spirit of divination. It's like a diviner. And you could read about that during the time of Daniel in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar where the people Daniel were dealing with, they, they were like seeing things and they were seers and they were mystics and they were out there in the spirit, but it was counterfeit. This girl was operating in a demonic counterfeit for the word of knowledge. She was heralding something that was partially true, but it was a bugging the heck out of Paul. That's in the Greek. He was bugging the heck out of Paul. He was annoyed, greatly annoyed, so much so that he, because Jesus said, you'll cast out demons, you know, and so forth, he did. But then they got really upset, and they realized that their prophet was gone, so they seized Paul and Silas, 
dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. So then they went all anti-Semitic and are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. Now later on, we're gonna find out, oh, wait a minute, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And they're being called by God to go out into these Roman outposts in the harshness of it, in the shallowness of it, in the coldness of it, in the darkness of it, and they're called to carry the light. But yet, Timothy comes in on the scene. What a blessing, hallelujah. They try to go into Bithynia and Asia. Oh, this is not God. What's God saying to us? Where do we go? What do we do? Finally, hey, let's go over here. And Lydia, she gets saved. So far, so good. This is working great. And then they're going to a prayer meeting. Hallelujah. And then, praise your man who preached the gospel. For days. Finally, he figures it out. I've always wondered, why didn't he cast a demon out of her immediately? Maybe because he didn't discern or know that it was actually, in fact, a spirit of divination. Then the, it seems to me that the discerning gift of, of 1 Corinthians 14, the discerning of spirits, kicked in, and he was anointed to do this, and she got delivered. She said, because, and you know how she got delivered? In the name of Jesus Christ, it says in verse 18, okay? So Lydia had a knowledge about God but didn't know about the Messiah, Jesus, until Paul came to preach the gospel. How will they know if they've never heard? How will they preach unless they're sent? And uh, so Paul was sent, and Paul was trying to go into this place. Paul was trying to go into that place. You and I are trying to figure out God's will. You and I are trying to be obedient. We're trying to flow. We're trying to know what God's saying to us in this hour. We're looking at what we've inherited all around about us, and we're saying, okay, God, I'm open to you. I don't want to argue against your call. If you're calling me to be a valiant warrior, then in Jesus' name, I'm a valiant warrior. Everybody say, I'm a valiant warrior. And uh, say, I'm willing to be obedient. Okay, so Paul is being obedient here. But then they, verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them. Now, this is bad. This happened a few times in Paul's life. In fact, I'm convinced this is actually the thorn in the flesh. I don't think it's physical sickness. I don't think it's glaucoma or blindness or anything that so many have interpreted. And I don't think it's an easily besetting sin in Paul's life with temptation. The, the, although those points have plausibility, I think this is the, the thing that kept reoccurring blow by blow in Paul's life. He'd get up in Ephesus and he'd preach the gospel. And they go, greatest Diana of the Ephesians for two hours because they th were threatened because he was coming in and saying, don't follow idols, follow the true and living God. And it was bumming out the idolatry uh, merchandising systems. Same thing with this. They were merchandising off of a demon spirit in a slave girl. And actually, this was a great thing. It was vexing and annoying to Paul, but it was a great thing for this slave girl. She got delivered. Her bosses did not like this. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off from, the, from them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer. Everybody say the jailer. So now we see Timothy, Lydia, the slave girl, the jailer. These are the, these are the people that are popping up in Paul's path. And the town is Philippi, and it's in Macedonia. 
And so he commanded the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They were singing, let's see, God, you're so good. Heart of worship, here I am to worship. I worship you, almighty God. And the doxology with the amen. We actually don't know what they were singing. There's no documentation. There's very little documentation of the Christian songs, but we do know they sang the Psalms. We do know that. And, uh, but we don't know what they're singing here, except maybe it was that list right there. All right, anyway, in the midnight hour, you ever have a midnight hour? And think about it, they were beaten with rods and the jailer just put them in there and, and fastened their feet in stocks in the inner room and fastened their feet in stocks. And then um, the prisoners, while they were praising and worshiping God, the prisoners were listening to them. Wow, there's just so much to this chapter. There's a lot of meat on this bone right here. There's so much that can be preached here about the midnight hour or about the prisoners are listening or how to be counterintuitive when you feel like whining and, and being, being uh, full of self-pity, and yet at that moment they began to sing praises to God, that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. He cared about the compassion in Paul. He cared about this guy so he would not take his own life. Now the reason this guy would take his own life is because he's from the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is absolutely harsh. For entertainment, they would throw people to lions thumbs up or thumbs down, and they, would, they, they had bloodlust, and they were, their culture had gone way, way off the track of what God originally had planned for humanity. And this guy was lost. And I'll show you the contrast about how Jesus can change a person. Now, with Timothy, he was already under his mother and grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, and had learned the gospel, and... He had a heart after God. He was a disciple. And he, he went in into greater enrichment, and we can read First and Second Timothy, and we can read the enduring things Paul said about Timothy, and what a wonderful, uh, cohesive partnership they, that you can actually have in life. He didn't have many, but he did have that. And then when he finally figured out where to go, he had that dream and vision in Macedonia, and he went, he went to that river, met a lady named Lydia. Lydia got filled with Jesus. Family got baptized, so whole household was saved, and it was a turning point of Western civilization, according to Will and Ariel Durant. Then this demonic episode while they're going to pray. And I just want to tell you, in the world you'll have tribulation. And this is very uh, necessary for us to understand so that we don't idealize everything in our lives. And we're like... Why didn't you tell me it was gonna be challenging? Okay, I'm gonna tell you it was gonna be challenging. All right, so now I did that, now we're all good. 
In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He said, take courage. He said, I have overcome the world. So the jailer, he calls for the lights in verse 29, and he rushed in, apparently put his sword down. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, quote, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> now that's amazing. What just happened to this guy? He's just cooperating. The mobs just brought in. They beat him with rods. The authorities told him to do it. They throw him in there and just don't let him out. And he sticks him in there and he asks these guys, I want what you have. What must I do? In fact, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said in verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. To me, this is one of the most magnificent promises recorded in scripture. The idea that you and your household can be saved. And that in a weird and even evil context of the Roman Empire, which has most of its virtues sucked clear out of the room, it's harsh. And Paul is assigned to go in there and preach. And he wants to go over to Asia. He wants to go to Bithynia. And the Lord, goes, Lord says, I want you to, I have a purpose for you. Get in the boat in Troas. Make a straight path to Samothrace. Get out of the boat. Go to Philippi. Hang out. Oh, it's the Sabbath. Go over, find some believers. There's no synagogue here. Go over to the river. There's a lady. She'd say, hey, man. And they talk about the Lord. And she, next thing you know, is like, I want what you have. And so she gets all baptized. The whole family gets baptized. And they say, please stay here. Please stay here. So Mr. and Mrs. Lydia and everybody, they're all hanging and the kids. And then they're like, praise God, you guys, man. We're, and then this demon lady's going, <laughs> And Paul is like, not hallelujahing. Paul is greatly annoyed. Come out of her in the name of Jesus. Boom. He gets thrown in jail. He starts worshiping God in the midnight hour. And this guy says, sirs, what must I do to be? He has to do a suicide intervention on his harsh taskmaster. Don't do it. Don't do it. We're all here. I mean, that makes me want to cry. That's like Jesus saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And forgiving the guy on the cross when the other guy's mocking and the other guy's receptive. And he's saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I forgive all you guys. And he lets out a loud cry. And the, and the soldier is going, surely this is the son of God. The substance of who Jesus is, is magnificent, isn't he? The God we serve, the God of the Jews that helped Gideon and furnished that support in that moment. It's amazing how God did that intervention in that dark chapter. That was a terrible time for the Jewish people. They were oppressed. It was terrible. And God brought them through. It was a rough situation for Paul here. And yet, he said, he spoke the word of the Lord to them, him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour at the night of the night, and it must have been one or two in the morning at this point, and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now look at this. From cruelty to kindness, I want you to see this guy as the person that he is. That 
You've probably heard of him. Who's heard of the Philippian jailer? His famous story. Well, he's just known as the jailer. He's, he's, we don't know his name. He's just described and referred to by his job role, the jailer. And if you want to get an understanding of just how harsh this Roman Empire is, you can do some study on the Roman Empire, and it will help you to understand how much of a change this fruit of repentance was in this guy's life. Look at this. You could write these things down. Number one, he took them that very hour of the night. He immediately became responsive. Number two, he washed their wounds. Up to this point, he didn't care about their wounds. They came in beaten with, by rods, so they were open and bleeding and probably had needing, you know, they needed care. And he just stuck their feet in stocks and put their hands in chains. But this time now he's washing their wounds. Why? Because he's had a change. Asa, his mother, Ruby, I was told she wasn't always a Christian. And that before she became a Christian, he said she smoked and cussed a lot. I can't even imagine Ruby smoking and cussing. She was one of the dear, fiery embers in our church body. She was amazing. But before she got saved, she was a sinner just like all the rest of us. And so it really helps us to understand the contrast that 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares that therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away and new things have come. Lydia and her family became new creatures. I'm convinced that slave girl, when the demons got cast out of her, where else could she go? The bosses threw her away. She was a slave girl. And, you know, now the Philippian jailer and his family were immediately baptized, he and his whole household. Number four, he brought them into the house, so he became hospitable. He might not really even know fully what Paul and Silas are accused of, but now he's like, I want what you have, and he brings them into the house, and he sets a table for them, meaning set food before them, and rejoiced greatly. Hallelujah. And then uh, having believed in God with his whole household. And I think about the Philippian church, and I think about the, the row in the front row of the pew of the church of Philippi with Lydia and her household and the Philippian jailer and his household looking at each other. You know, the Roman soldier with his, you know, all of his stuff and his miniskirt and all that stuff. And then Lydia with all of her gorgeous, uh, everybody's dressed up in purple, you know, purple headbands and stuff like that, purple tie-dye, everybody's purple. And then there's this girl going, man, I don't know what just happened to me, but I am sure glad to be in church. And I just think about how God took this moment to retrieve, to cause Timothy to embark on his great call to be this pastor in the future that would have such a, an impact in the region that he lived in. He had to overcome fear. Paul said to him, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And he gave great instruction to Timothy. And Timothy gave great support and help to Paul. And I, I think about Lydia's household. There's not much said about her, but yet there's everything said about her. This is the first European convert, and this is a turning point to Western civilization. And I, I'm going to just close with this because Gideon didn't know how significant his call was going to ultimately be. And it was obvious because he was going, I'm the least in my father's house. And, you know, hey, if God really loved us, then why did all this happen? Isn't that amazing? The first attitude, action before the Lord. And yet God is going, you're a valiant warrior. Go in this, your strength. Isn't it amazing? 
how God looks, sets his love upon us, and he calls us, knowing everything about us, numbers of hairs on our head, our tendencies, our, our down-sitting, our uprising, our pros, our cons, our good points, our bad points. And yet he's, he's looking for people whose hearts are his. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So God sees Saul of Tarsus and goes, hmm, I'm gonna use him. And he was a persecutor of the church. He, concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had all this pedigree. He was a, I think he bragged. I think he was like, he was a Roman citizen. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Benjamite Jew. He knew, you know, he lays out all this list of stuff and he says, all this stuff I count as dung compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus. And he had a turning point with God. Lydia had a turning point with God. The slave girl had a turning point with God. The Philippian jailer had a turning point with God. And that was the birthing of the Philippi church. Ragamuffin, interesting, eclectic, group of people who had one thing in common. Jesus had changed their life. And they were the product of somebody who did not have a methodology technique. He was like, I wanted to go do this over there with this situation. But God had me go here, so I did it. And we waited around in Philippi, and I went to a river, and then this happened. And then I was on my way to a prayer meeting, and then this demonic thing happened. And then I cast a demon out of her, and then all hell broke loose, and I got thrown in jail. So I started having a praise service, and then the jailer came in and was drawing a sword. and said, wait, 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 we're here. The people got freaked out by Paul, and they said, just let him go, just let him go. Because when they found out they were Romans and that they had thrown him in jail and beaten him, they were, they were concerned that they had violated their own law. And Paul said, uh-uh, no way. You're not going to slip me off in secret. I'm on a mission. That's amazing. He called himself the bondservant and prisoner of the Lord. That was one of his titles that he preferred. That was his title. Wow. I, you know, he preached to uh, Festus, and, and he, said, uh, he said, man, your teaching is, are you trying to convert me? And he goes, I want you to be just like me, only without these chains. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, you're, I think you're, you're mad. And he said, I'm speaking, I'm uttering words of sober truth. And uh, Paul was on a mission. Paul had a one moment after the other in a sequence. But going into it, it felt difficult. I remember when we were in Kosovo, and it was really hot, and we visited the military soldiers in the barracks. And there was no air conditioning, and there was not even any, the fans, I don't think they even had fans. And all these guys were off duty, and they were all, eh. And it was, everybody was so tired, and we were all in the war environment. Everybody was like, it was like swimming through split pea soup or something. It was just everything felt so thick and heavy. I think it must have felt that way when Paul was going, I want to go into Bithynia, and I want to preach. And God, is, it says the spirit of Jesus forbid him and the Holy Spirit forbid him. That's the only reference to the spirit of Jesus. And it's like, whatever that means, it must have been like, God's pulling out all the heavy guns to go, Paul, Paul, I've got a better course for you. Who of, who of us here has said, God, not my will, but your will be done? You know why you prayed that prayer? Because that's what you, in fact, want. And you know why I know you want that? Because God wants that for us, and because you've invited Jesus into your life, that becomes the center of your existence. It's not so much self-fulfillment. It's not so much the thing you had planned for your life or ministry or your achievements or your business or your profession. It's like, wait a minute. 
I want to yield to the Lord. I want to be an obedient vessel. How many of you, how many of you would say, that's me, man. I want to flow in the Holy Spirit. I'm making myself available to the Holy Spirit. And I'm expecting signs, wonders, and miracles to follow. And I was born an original, and I'm not going to die a copy. And I'm not trying to emulate everything I've heard. I'm not trying to follow fads. I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit. And even my own thing, God, I surrender it and submit it to you. And then we may have an outcome where we see Timothy come along and we see Lydia's household come along and we see the slave girl get delivered and we see the Philippian jailer. I think it's wonderful that all these people came and were added to the church. Don't you? Let's all stand up on our feet. I'm gonna call uh, uh, just a moment of prayer right now. I wanna just pray for you. Put one hand on your heart, one hand up toward heaven. Say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Now, if you're not a Christian, you have a, a need right now to be saved. You need to be saved. This is why this guy said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What does saved mean? It means you're lost. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. But it must be received. And the way we do that is, is by Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. That if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So let's pray this together. If you want Jesus to come into your life, or you've been away from God and you want to rededicate your life, or you're trying to push in this way and that way and you just want God's will to be done let's all pray this together Heavenly Father tonight I commit my heart to your purposes please help me to go from cruelty to kindness help me to go into your perfect will starting right now empowered by the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders following I trust you, Lord, to see me through, and I refuse to quit. In Jesus' name, amen.